Um, this is from a consulting firm in Jerusalem. Jerusalem Management Consulting Firm. They write, Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken a series of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but we've also conducted an in-depth interview with each of them by our staff psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all the tests are included, and you will, be, you will want to study each of them carefully. It's the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background and education and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you're underta undertaking. Um, they do not have the team concept, and we would highly recommend that you continue your search for persons with more experience and higher qualifications and greater managerial skills. And like, for instance, Simon Peter, um, he's emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew simply has no qualities of leadership at all. Um, the two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they place personal interest above company loyalty and are quite boisterous. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale among the ranks. It's also our duty to inform you that, that the Better Business Bureau of Greater Jerusalem has received several reports about Matthew regarding, regarding questionable business practices. James and, and Thaddeus, they definitely have radical leanings and, and both demonstrate attitude problems which would present difficulties in, in, the, in their dealings with the public. However, one of your candidates shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, and he meets people well, and he has a keen business mind. He has con contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, resp responsible, and he's not afraid to take initiative. We recommend Judas Iscariot as the most qualified of all your pros prospective candidates. Sincerely, the Jerusalem Management Consulting Firm. What do you think about that? J Judas, he's qualified. The rest of them, not so much. So today we're, we're going to talk about Judas. I've been telling you, I'm, I was, I've been gearing up for this, been wanting to preach a sermon on Judas for, for a couple, couple weeks now. And then as I got into it this week, I found this was not, this was not a comfortable subject for me. Um, and I wonder if it's because I felt like I was too much like this guy. Um, what do we know about Judas? We, we don't know much about Judas. We don't know where he came from. We don't know the background story. Um, he just came. He just, he just came. Um, we know his name, Judas. That's a variant of the name Judah. Judah, which, which means he shall be praised. Um, and which is a great name, except after what Judas did. And now, like, nobody names their kid Judas, right? It's like you don't name your kid Jezebel. You don't name your kid Hitler. You don't name your kid, uh, you don't name your kid Judas. Nobody wants to touch this name. Um, his, his position, we know that he was, he was the bookkeeper. He was the treasurer of the group. He was highly trusted by the rest of the disciples to keep the money. He, the CFO, he oversaw the resources of the ministry. In his education, he's taught by Jesus. He followed Jesus. He witnessed Jesus do amazing things like walk on water, cast out demons, feed 5,000, you know, calm the storm. He saw all these things. So, so I want to go through various um, titles of Judas for us. And one of the first titles that we see is he is a disciple. That's a good title, right? Matthew 10 verse 1, he called, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So he's a disciple. And if you look at the very next verse, you see he's also an apostle, a disciple and apostle. There, these are the names of the 12 apostles. There's 
there's Simon, there's Andrew, there's James, and you get to, you get to Judas, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. It, th- those last few words are like always with his name. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Um, but he's a disciple. He's an apostle. And, and, and you see, you know, taught by Jesus, followed Jesus, witnessed Jesus. And then he was sent out to preach in the name of Jesus. He, he was sent out to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. It says in Matthew 10, verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Um, he, he tells them, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out the demons. Judas did all this. Judas did this. If there was ever a person to be nominated as a saint, I mean, wouldn't Judas be considered to be, to be one of them? Three and a half years of the exposure of Jesus, hands-on participation in healing and miracles, esteemed by the 11 as one of the most capable people looking after the money, an intimate companion of Jesus Christ. This is, this is who we're talking about, Judas a disciple of Jesus Christ, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But then John tells us, gives us another title, and he says he was a thief. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Mary who, who came to Jesus and, and, and anointed him with a pint of nard worth a year's wages, you know? And, and what John says, John 12, verse 4, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, once again, later to betray him, it's always there, um, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? And it was worth a year's wages. And he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. John wants to make it very clear that we understand this about Judas. He's a thief, the keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put in it. That's what John writes. But by appearances, he looks great. I mean, he's responsible. He's practical. He he cares about the poor. And John's kind of letting you know, don't don't let looks fool you. He's a thief. And, and I got a question for us here. Um, we all come to church. We all worship the Lord. And I would ask you, are you a giver or are you a taker? And I want to be careful here because I've seen these, these uh, reports, these surveys say 80% of people who come to church come for what it can do for them and what, they, what it can do for their family. And, I, and I'm thinking, so that, you know, they're, they're, they're coming to take what they can get out of it. And, and I praise God that, you know, everybody's here. If this is what brought you to, to church, praise God. That's great. But I just want to push you a little bit is, is that really what it's all about, just to receive from God? Aren't we supposed to be the body of Christ? Aren't we supposed to be his hands, his feet? Has he not sent us out to do his work? And, and think about the joy, the privilege of being a giver. Jesus even says, blessed are those who give. Um, but Judas was a taker. He wasn't a giver. And secretly, he was stealing money that ultimately belonged to the ministry of Jesus Christ. He appeared to be generous. He appeared to care. But he's a thief. Another title that we see, I think we saw this one two weeks ago, in Matthew 26, when, when Jesus was arrested. And, and who was it? Judas led the guards to Jesus. And, and, and Judas kissed Jesus as he was betraying him. And what did Jesus say? Jesus says, friend, do what you came for. So Jesus gives him the title friend. And when Jesus calls you friend, that's, that's a pretty cool thing. He was a friend of Jesus. 
He was a disciple of Jesus. He was an apostle of Jesus, but he was also a thief. And then we come to the title that he's known for, a betrayer. He was a betrayer. Jesus prophesied that he was going to betray him. At the, at the Last Supper, Jesus, uh, he, he says, he says uh, while they were eating, he says, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And they were very sad. They began to say to, to, to him one after another, surely not I, Lord. And Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it's written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. That's quite a statement. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely not I, Rabbi. Everybody else said, surely not I, Lord. And Judas says, surely not I, Rabbi. Right there, that's, there's a flag right there. And not I, Rabbi. He doesn't call him Lord. He calls him Rabbi. But Jesus says, yes, it is you. You think about, this is, this is big, this is big. When you think about the betrayal of Jesus, is this, um, this is right up there with the crucifixion of Jesus. This is right up there with the nails in, in Jesus' hands, uh, the, 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 the sword in his side, right up there with the birth of Jesus. All these things were prophesied. It had to happen this way. It says it in Psalm 41 and Psalm 55, Psalm 109. All tells us that Jesus, that the Messiah would be betrayed. And it had to happen this way. It had to happen this way. I read this. This is profound. Because betrayal is the only way a righteous man can be condemned. A guilty man is condemned by facts. But an innocent man is only condemned if someone betrays him. This is further proof of his righteousness. He's, he's innocent. It wasn't the facts that condemned him. It was the betrayal that condemned him. They had no grounds on which to condemn him. He had to be betrayed. And it was prophesied a thousand years before it would happen this way. Judas is the betrayer. And then we come to another title that I want to I mention here to you. He's the son of perdition, is what it says in the King James. This is what Jesus said about him, the son of perdition. But I didn't know what that word meant, so I had to look it up in another translation. What that means, he's the son of destruction. He's the son of destruction. That's what it says in the, uh, the NIV, the one doomed to destruction, but like what it says in the New American Standard, it says, while I, while I was with them, this is what Jesus says, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. I love those words, that Jesus guarded his disciples, and not one of them perished, except the son of destruction, so the scriptures would be fulfilled. That's what it says in John 17, verse 12. Last week, we talked about Jesus Christ, the son of God. And this week, the focus on Judas, the son of destruction. And I would ask you, is he the only son of destruction in the Bible? Jesus is the only son of God. There is no other son of God. But could there be other sons of destruction? Other people doomed to destruction? And if so, should that not get our attention that he's not the only one? This is why I had such a hard time with this sermon. I'm like, I relate too much to this guy. I have too much in common with this guy. That got my attention. I'm hoping it gets your attention. I'm hoping, hoping that it's not just me. Well, I'm hoping, but I don't know, that, that came out wrong. No, I hope none of us are dealing with this, but at the same time, we all got to deal with this. Because we have things in common with this guy. And he was doomed for destruction. What about me? What about you? Well, let me ask you about the motivation. 
What, what motivated Judas to do what he did? And I think as you study the Bible, the, the one thing that stands out so much, I mean, he, he's a thief. He loved money. He was a lover of money. He was greedy. Is that why he did this? He was a con man. And as soon as he could, he, uh, as soon as he could tell Jesus' life was about over, he took, he took what he could get and, and he checked out. Is that what's going on here? And, and I, that's not enough for me. It's not because it's just 30 pieces of silver. And it just doesn't make sense that you would, you would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It's my understanding, that wasn't that much money. It really wasn't. It's not like he won the lottery here when he betrayed Jesus. No, 20 bucks. He gets 20 bucks for this. Really? Is that the motivation? Is the motivation God? Did God create him for this purpose? I think oh, that's a question that, that people want to think about. Was he elected? Was he chosen for this purpose? And, and I would tell you, be careful here. Don't blame God for this. God can tempt no man. He, he, he won't tempt you. Um, I think God knew what Judas would do, but I do not think God created Judas to do this. Um, God didn't make Judas for this moment. He just knew this was the heart of Judas. This is what Judas would do. Uh, so I, I, God is innocent. This is not on God. Can we blame Satan? Did Satan make him do this? And once again, I would tell you, be careful here, because if Satan can make you do something, then, then we don't have a chance. None of us have a chance. But Satan doesn't have that kind of power. He can put the thought in your head, but ultimately it was Judas who acted on that thought. And Satan can put thoughts in your head, but ultimately you, it's, it's on you if you're going to do it or not. It's, so you can't blame Satan. We live in a culture that wants to blame somebody. You know, it, it, it wasn't me. Satan made me do it. No, no. Judas is not a victim here. He's a fool. Satan entered him. That's what it says in John 13, verse 27. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. But only because Judas allowed it. Satan can't make you do anything. And then I read some other theories. I didn't want to wear anybody out on this, but just some things to, to food for thought here. Um, somebody suggested maybe he was jealous because Jesus was becoming more and more powerful and Judas was becoming a nobody. And maybe that it, well, he wasn't comfortable. He wanted some attention. Maybe that's the case. I think it's kind of lame, but maybe, you know. Uh, other people suggest he was bitter about something. He betrayed Jesus because he's bitter. And the Bible tells you to be careful about not letting any bitterness uh, come inside of you and take root inside of you. Maybe he was upset with Peter about something, you know? Maybe he was upset with all the disciples. The, the thought is that all the other disciples were Galileans and he wasn't. Maybe he didn't fit in. Maybe that was gnawing at him, that he didn't fit in. Maybe Jesus said something to him that, that bothered him. Maybe Jesus knew him so well and he couldn't stand it. Jesus, Jesus could look inside of him and see his soul. And maybe that made Judas uncomfortable and he had to do something about it. Maybe. All these different things. Maybe. I believe, and this might not be worth anything, uh, but I love to give, give my opinion. Um, but it's not what the Bible says. But I think that Judas wanted to force Jesus' hand. Judas, I think Judas recognized Jesus is the Messiah, and as all the people back then thought, he's the Messiah to come to liberate them from the Romans, and he wasn't getting the job done. He needs my help. So Judas is trying to push Jesus 
to the agenda that Judas was trying to achieve because Jesus just wasn't doing it fast enough. Or it looked like Jesus was, was doing something else. Jesus, need, Jesus needed to be pushed. So he goes to the chief priest and says, I'll tell you where he is because this, this will make things, this is, this is going to get things moving now. That's what I think. But the truth is, the Bible really doesn't say. We, we don't know why Judas did what he did. We know who did it. We know where he did it. We know when he did it. We know how he did it. But we don't know why he did it. Which leads me to the question, why do you betray Jesus? Is that too much? Did I go too far on that one? I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have done that, but really, I mean, why? Why is it you betray Jesus? When was the last time you betrayed Jesus? You know, maybe 10 years ago, you know, but you know, I didn't know what I was doing then. Last week, when I did know what I was doing. When was the last time? How are we any different from this guy? And he gets such a bad rap. He gets such a bad name. He gets a, the title son of perdition, son of destruction. I'm not like him. I am like him. Is that my destiny? I want to take you to the text today, Matthew 27, verse 3. Some things really pop out at me here. That's what it says. When Judas, who had betrayed him, so now it's, it's already been done. When Judas had betrayed Jesus, he saw that Jesus was condemned. And he was seized with remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver, the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And get this, what the chief priest says, he says, what's that to us? That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and he left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. A pretty serious passage here. I would ask you, does anything stand out to you? What, what stands out here? What, what leaps off the page and gets your attention? The first thing I see is he sees that Jesus is condemned. That wasn't supposed to happen. That's not how Judas saw this playing out. Judas thought he was helping. He didn't think he was hurting Jesus, in my, my theory. And he saw that Jesus was innocent. You see this here? I have betrayed innocent blood. That's a big deal to me. He knows Jesus is innocent. This is, he's not worthy of this. He's been falsely accused. He's been falsely arrested. He's, he's getting ready to be falsely executed. Judas knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew the witnesses were lying. He knew that Jesus claimed to be God and he is God. Judas knew all that. This is his Messiah being condemned. This is his Messiah who is innocent. And he was seized with remorse. Let that get your attention here. He felt bad. And when you feel bad, you try to do something. What's he, what's he, he tries to return the money. That'll make him feel better, right? If I just return the money, that'll make the whole problem go away, right? It didn't. He continued to feel bad. So he took the issue to a priest. He confessed to a priest because isn't that what you're supposed to do? I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. 
He goes to the priest and he confesses. And, and what's the priest do? He says, that's, that's not our problem. That's your problem. That's your responsibility. I'm thinking, heartless. That priest was heartless. But he was right. It's not the priest's fault. That's not the priest's, priest's problem. That's Judas's problem. That's, that's Judas's responsibility. That's on Judas. It's Judas that did this. And notice that Judas hung himself. He destroyed himself. He became the son of destruction. As if he, deter- he was determined to destroy himself. And we live in a society today of people who are destroying themselves. Judas is not the only one. Before Jesus died on that cross, Judas died on a tree. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and Judas is still dead. I saw this. I thought this was profound. Judas did not appease God's wrath on his sin by committing suicide. In reality, suicide was just another sin. And then it goes on to say, physical death does not eliminate eternal debt. That's profound. You, you want the pain to go away. You do extreme things to make the pain go away. Don't do something stupid. I hope you see before the end of the, 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 the answer, you go to Jesus, and he didn't go to Jesus. I see so many people, they, went, they go to everything but Jesus. And I, I can watch their lives, they're destroying themselves, but they refuse to go to Jesus. Isn't it obvious that's the only answer? So, so we look at this here, and I'm thinking, what, Lord, what am I supposed to what did I do with this? What did I do with this message here? And, and what I came up with, well, a couple of things here. First of all, to understand Bible study is not enough. Bible study is not enough. It's good. The, the Bible tells us to hide the word in our hearts so we do not sin against our Lord. That's what it says in Psalm 119. So we need to be studying the Bible. We need to know the Bible. And we have, we have so many opportunities to learn the Bible. You know, YouTube videos. You listen to it on the radio. You, you go to church. Church doesn't cost anything. You go to a Bible study. Bible studies don't cost anything. All these opportunities to hear the Word of God, learn the Word of God. And Judas went to the seminary of Jesus Christ. I mean, a class of 12 people, right? Could he have had any better? You know, knowing and saying that, you know, well, he just didn't get enough uh, theological training. I mean, Jesus was his teacher. James writes this, do not merely listen to the word of God. And I would tell you, don't just merely study the word of God and deceive yourself. That's why he says, and deceive yourself. Deceive yourself, Judas. I wrote that in my, my passage right there. And deceive yourself, Judas. Do what it says. You can listen to it all day long. You can memorize it. You can study. You can, all these, you can do it all day long, but you got to do what it says. And Judas heard the teachings of Jesus, but he didn't listen. He didn't do it. He didn't follow. So Bible study is not enough. It's a, it's a good thing, but it's not enough. And ministry is not enough. He cast out demons. He preached the gospel. He healed the sick. He did, Judas did all these things. You can be in ministry and go to hell. You can be in ministry and betray God. You can be in ministry and end up a son of destruction. The Bible says it's not enough. 
Ministry is not enough. Appearances are not enough. And how many of us, we got that going for us? We look good. We look the part. You know, I look like a good citizen. I, I look, you know, all these different things. I appear, appear to, to care and to be loving. You, you think the, the Judas, I mean, he looked the part. He, he looked credible. And somebody was asking me, oh, so where did you go to seminary? I went to the seminary of Jesus Christ. And who was your professor? Well, for, for Old Testament, I had Jesus. For prophecy, I had Jesus. You know, for missions, I had Jesus. Evangelism, I had Jesus. For leadership, I had Jesus. You know, well, have you ever worked in ministry? Yeah, I've, I've done a three-year internship. With who? Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you want to hire that guy? That's, a, that's, who, that's going to be our next youth minister right here. He appears great, credible, loving, generous to the poor. Judas's betrayal of Jesus was not a change of his character. It was a revelation of his character. He hadn't changed. He'd simply been exposed. In public, he looked the part. He's an associate minister of Jesus Christ. In private, he was stealing money. He was betraying Jesus. So I ask you, I ask you right now, you, you got the appearance thing going for you. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you look the part. That's great. Are you just, a, you know, what, whitewashed tombs, you know, clean on the outside, dirty on the inside, full of dead man's bones? Is that you? Who are you in private? Who are you when nobody's looking? Who are you truly? Are you... Are you are you a Christian who has made Jesus Christ your Lord, your Savior, and you're following him, and you're listening to him, and you hate your sin, and, and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you on the inside? Or are you Judas, just faking it, putting on a good show? Appearances are not enough, and remorse is not enough. Feeling bad about what you've done is not enough. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Not with repentance, but with remorse. There's a difference. You understand there's a difference between remorse and repentance? Repentance is actually, the Greek is, and I can't say it, I'm not even going to try to say it. The Greek is changing your direction. Remorse is feeling bad about what you've done. It comes from two words. After care is caring after the fact. You didn't care enough before the fact not to do it, but after the fact, it bumps you out. It makes you feel bad. You, you regret it. That's remorse. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. Let me say that again. For sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance that is without regret. That's the goal here. We should be a repentant people, not a remorseful people. It goes on, it goes on says, but the sorrow of the world produces death. If you, just, if, you're, if you just feel bad about what you did, that's not going to help you at all. He felt bad, but he doesn't change. Remorse is about feelings. Repentance is about action. Remorse is emotional. Repentance is life-changing. Remorse is about guilt and disgrace. Repentance is about choice, a decision, a responsibility to do the right thing. Remorse is just an unending pity party. That's all that is. Remorse is wishing you had not done something. Repentance is ensuring you won't do it again because your heart has changed, because you have a heart for God, because you care about the will of God. 
Remorse is the starting block, but repentance is the finish line. If you're just remorseful, it's not enough. It's not enough. You look at the difference between Peter and Judas. It's so obvious here because I can identify a lot with Peter denying Jesus. I can identify a lot with the disciples. We've talked about this over the past few weeks who deserted Jesus. I can identify with Judas who betrayed Jesus. None of, they're all, it's all the same. What Judas did, what the disciples did, what Peter did, it's all the same. The difference is the disciples came back to Jesus. They repented and they were transformed, and they changed the world. Judas was stuck with his remorse, and he died without coming back to Christ. Remember, remember the story of Peter. When, 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 you know, what Peter did, I'm, Peter was right in the same boat. But when Peter heard that Jesus was not in the tomb anymore, he ran to the tomb. He was the first one in the tomb he, he, he was searching for Jesus. He was looking for Jesus. He had to find Jesus and look him in the face and, and tell him, I'm sorry. Peter was repentant. Peter was transformed by the grace of God. And that is what's lacking here. Judas never experienced the grace of God. He never gave God a chance to, to pour his grace out on him. Judas took matters in his own hands. So I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of forgiveness. Peter wasn't worthy of forgiveness either, but he wanted forgiveness and he got it. You see the difference? And a few more things. Confessing to a priest is not enough. I see that from the text here. Judas went to the priest, says, I have sinned. That wasn't enough. And, and you can come to me. I, I, you know, I, I want to be there for you as much as I can. If you got issues, I want to be there for you. But I'm not the answer. All I'm going to do is tell you to go to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Going to priest is not enough. You've got to take it to Jesus. Being with God's people is not enough. Judas had the best small group there was. You know, 12 disciples. You know, he's walking with Jesus, walking with disciples. He had a question. He could have, he could have asked any one of the disciples. They could have written a book on it. What a great small group. What, you can be a part of a great church. You can be a part, you can be surrounded by Christians. It's not enough. It's about your walk with Jesus, your relationship with Jesus. And my message today is being a son of destruction is a very real possibility for everyone who's a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's not easy for me to say. I don't want to say that. But that's the, the truth of the passage here. Being a son of destruction is a very real poss- possibility for every disciple of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't have to be. Do you hear that part of the message? This does not have to be our destiny. Paul tells us in the very, very great words here in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourself. Right there, stop right there. Examine yourself. Look on the inside. See whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless you fail the test. Examine is, is Jesus Christ on the inside? Have you made him your Lord and Savior? And what Jesus says, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, 
John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine. This is what Jesus says. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. He goes on and says, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's the goal right there. I need to be in Christ. Christ needs to be in me. You need to be in Christ. Christ needs to be in you. Is that happening? Are you walking with the Spirit? Are you, are you living with the mind of, of, of Christ, with your mind fixed on things above? All, all, these, all these passages I could, I could quote to you right now, but that, you see what the goal is? You see what the objective is? Is it happening? It goes on in John chapter 15, verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. You got almost right. He's like a son of destruction. He is a son of destruction. All because they're not remaining in me is what Jesus says. Is Christ in you? Do you understand this is why he came to this earth? This is why he went to that cross. This is why he died. So that you could walk with him. So he could walk with you. So you could have a relationship with him. So you could be set free from your sins. So you could experience his grace and his power. So you could walk with him and live for him and be with him forever and ever. That's what he wants. My question is, is that what you want? Is that what's happening? Or are you faking it? Are you just going through the motions? Are you a son of destruction? I want you to understand what's important here is not how you begin. What's important is how you end, the finish line. I love seeing, we had a baptism earlier in the, in the first service. I love seeing people come to Christ. I love people getting baptized, beginning their walk with Christ. But what's important is how you finish with Jesus Christ. Because we can get so bogged down. John, uh, Matthew chapter 13 talks about the, the worries of this world, you know, all the, all, these, all the things of this world that can bog you down and, and, and we wither and die. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. Are you in Christ? Are you remaining in Christ? Are you following Christ? Are you living for Christ? In the end, Judas ran away from Christ. And it killed him. Peter ran to Christ, and it forever changed him. I want to be the one running to Christ every day of my life. And my challenge to you is to, that you do the same. Run to Jesus Christ.